Now, many years ago, I had a friend who was a basketball superstar when he was in, in high school. Uh, he was heavily recruited. In fact, out of high school, he was recruited to a Division I college in California. He had a lot of opportunities in front of him, a lot of potential, including the potential to eventually play professionally. But then one day, a friend of his convinced him to be the getaway driver for a bank robbery. And that did not go well. Eventually, they were caught. They were arrested. Of course, he lost his scholarship as he received jail time. And a lot of athletes who go through trouble like this, they lose their opportunities for good. But one day, another Division I college, this one in Utah, came along and they offered him a second chance, a chance to get back on the right path. And of course, he accepted. Things were finally going well for him again. But shortly after that, he was driving along one evening, got pulled over by the police, and they found drugs in his vehicle. So again, he was arrested, he lost his scholarship, things were really going downhill fast. Now it was after all these things that I first met him. And when I met him, he was at a point in his life where he was trying to get back on the right track. He was going to school, working on a degree, starting to make some friends, he even started playing basketball again. Things seemed like they were turning around for him. And then two years later, he just seemed to disappear. The rumor we heard was that he moved to a nearby city, got caught up with drugs there. And that was about a decade ago. And I tried to find some people the last couple of weeks, but I couldn't find anybody who has heard anything about him or from him since then. And it's, it's strange to a lot of us, isn't it? It's, it's strange when we see someone who has so much potential. They have so many opportunities. The path is laid out for them in life, and then they, they throw it away for things that are trivial, things that are worthless, things that are destructive. It's sad when we see that. And it's sad to me that something similar happens in the spiritual lives of Christians as well. Let me explain what I mean. As Christians, the moment that we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, in that very moment, the Bible says that we were made a new creation in Jesus Christ. All that we were before, that's, that's gone. We have a clean slate. Our sins have been forgiven. In fact, we've been set free from slavery to sin. We're free in Christ Jesus. We have the opportunity and the ability to finally live a righteous life that pleases the Lord. But for some reason, many Christians choose instead to pursue things that are trivial and worthless and destructive in their lives. They stray from the path that pleases the Lord in order to indulge in sin. They join in with sinners. They forsake the commands of God for worthless living. And there are two paths in life that we can take, believers. The path of righteousness or the path of wickedness. And we need to decide where we want to be found walking in our lives. We're going to do that together this morning as we turn to Psalm chapter 1. So I'm going to encourage you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Psalm chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you. Use one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary. If you'd like to use one of those on the seat in front of you, you can turn to page 431 in those Bibles. Page 431, Psalm chapter 1. 
See, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series together through the book of Psalms. Now, generally, when we do a, a series through a book, we study the whole book. We're not going to do that with Psalms. Instead, we're going to move through a selection of Psalms over the next few months together. And this is a a great book. I'm sure many of you have read it, at least portions of it at times, or at least you've probably heard of it. A lot of people talk about the book of Psalms. The Hebrew title for this book means praises, leading to the English title Psalms, which also means praises. And in this book, we do find many great praises towards God, but there's more than just rejoicing in these pages of Scripture. You see, there's a reason that the Psalms are a book that many people look to when they're in times of trouble. It's because many of the authors of the Psalms went through times of trouble. So some of those authors are given to us in the book. They're named for us. Many Psalms were written by King David. A couple Psalms were written by his son Solomon. Others were written by the sons of Korah. Some by a man named Asaph. Some Psalms don't tell us who wrote them. But in them all, We find the authors in different situations in their lives. Sometimes we find them in times of great praise, sure, but also in times of sorrow. Times of danger, crying out to the Lord for help. Times of sin, crying out to the Lord for forgiveness. There is a lot for us to learn from the book of Psalms. So let's see what we can learn this morning in Psalm chapter 1. Look at verse 1. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Let's go ahead and stop right here. You keep your place there in Psalm chapter 1. The first path that we are going to look at is the path of the righteous. Now, look, any person in this world can do good things. Any person can do good things. But these verses aren't talking about good people. These verses are talking about God's people. All right, and as Christians, those of us who are the people of God, we've been adopted into his family, the first thing we need to understand is that we are positionally righteous before God. Let me explain what that means. The moment we went to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we put our faith in him as our Savior. In that moment, we were forever forgiven, and the Bible tells us that the righteousness of Jesus was put on our account. So when God looks at us believers, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Our position before God is one of righteousness. Well, as the people of God, we've been called to live lives of practical righteousness. That means that now we need to live the right way in His sight. It means joyfully following the commands of God. It means living in a way that's holy, that's pleasing to Him, growing to become more and more like our Savior. All right, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, we find that the people of God who live this way, those people are blessed. The word blessed in Hebrew is speaking of of happiness, but not just that fleeting happiness that we find in our circumstances. No, no, true, true, deep happiness in our lives. That joyful contentment, believers, that we all desire, that is going to be found as a result of us living in obedience to God. Look, a Christian might find some temporary satisfaction in a season of sin, but if they are truly a follower of Jesus, 
then the conviction they will feel for that sin, the loss of joy they will have, the reality of their rebellion as it sets in, will bring them only misery. No, no, no. Blessed, quite happy and content, is the believer who is walking in righteousness. So we should ask, what, what does that righteous path look like? Well, the individual walking on that righteous path, for one thing, is not walking in step with the wicked, the psalmist says. Not taking their counsel, their advice, not listening to them. Now, when the psalmist says this, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to avoid the world at all costs. I say that because there are Christians who think that's the case. We just need to avoid the world. We, we shouldn't be around them at all in any instance. Centuries ago, there were monks who were revered. They were revered in the church because they would isolate themselves from the world. They'd go live in the desert, in the wilderness. They didn't want to be around anybody, so they become more holy, and people revered them for that. But here's the problem. If we do that, how are we ever going to be found sharing the gospel with the unsaved? We need to be around them to witness to them, but we're not supposed to live like them, believer. The problem is, instead of telling them the truth, sometimes we start to listen to their lies. I can't help but think how different things would have been for my friend if he hadn't listened to the lies of that person he knew, who convinced him to go along with this evil plan. What if he wasn't in the car at the bank that day? How different would his life be? But you know, misery loves company, doesn't it? And I want you to know something. The wicked, the wicked delight in company. But the righteous delight in God's company. They delight in the company of God's commands. Sadly, some Christians have listened to the counsel of the wicked. In fact, they listen long enough that before they realize it, well, they're standing in the very path that sinners are walking on. Their actions are the same. And then before they know it, well, they're comfortably sitting in the company of those sinners. The attitude of their heart and mind is the same. The same as those who mock God and mock his laws. The same as those who have no regard for his holiness. It is a sad thing that there are professing Christians today who don't look any different than the world around them. What does the scripture tell believers in Romans 12? It says this, Romans 12 verse 2 says to believers, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, that's the righteous person, believer. That's the believer. It's not listening to the counsel of the wicked or being conformed to the world. Now they're being renewed by the Spirit of God living within them. They don't give heed to the things of the world. Instead, the psalmist says their delight is in God's law. So let's stop right there for a second. Church, do we delight in God's law? Do, do we find joy in God's word? Do we find joy in learning his righteous commands and his decrees towards us? Or, or do we see those things as an obligation and a burden? Do we delight in God's law? A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of sitting in on Wednesday night youth group as Pastor Brandon taught. And as he taught, he asked everyone there what things they find joy in. And all sorts of answers were yelled out. Candy and presents and sleepovers and drawing. All sorts of answers. Of course, Pastor Brandon was looking for the greater things, like our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
I wish I understood that was the direction he was going before I shouted out, French fries. <laughs> but Pastor Brandon's right. The, the Christian's joy and delight should ultimately be found in our relationship with Jesus and growing to know him more and more through prayer and scripture and praise and worship. And the Christian who is walking on the righteous path is walking according to God's word. Why? Because that's where their delight is. Well, they delight in God's word. Not only that, the psalmist says that they meditate on it day and night. That means that they think about it often. Because they read it often, it comes to their mind throughout the day. They think about it. They consider how to apply it to their life. A lot of people have compared meditating, they've compared it to the cow chewing its cud. Now, my understanding, which I also know some of you will correct afterwards this morning, the cattlemen who are here, my understanding is that when a cow eats, its food goes into one portion of its stomach. And then later, when the cow is, uh, when it's relaxed, when it's comfortable, sometimes when it's laying down, uh, that food comes back up and it chews it. That's That's the cud. And after the cud is swallowed, it's finally digested. I think we can all agree that's gross. (laughs) But apparently it's also good. The U.S. dairy website says that cud-chewing cows are generally healthier cows. You know, it's interesting, in a similar way, the Christian who is spiritually healthier is the one who's bringing back to mind those things that they read in the Bible. They're going back over those truths. They're letting it seek deep into their lives so they can digest the truth of it and apply it. That's the healthy Christian. That's the Christian walking on the path of righteousness. That's the Christian who the psalmist says is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit, whose leaf does not wither. Why? This Christian is bearing the fruit of righteousness because they're being continually fed by the life-giving water of God's Word. And you can see in the lives of Christians like that, you you can see them bearing that fruit of righteousness. How how they're growing in love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. You can see it in their lives. Now understand that that Christian is still going to go through tough seasons in life. Through those dry times of life when things are hard. And when testing comes and when trials seem constant and when temptation seems like it never ends and things are falling apart. But that believer will not wither in their faith or fail in their growth so long as they continue to walk on that path of righteousness. So long as they continue to trust in God. So long as they continue to trust in his word. In fact, when they do, they find that they are better prepared to respond to those tough seasons in life. That is the righteous path. And church, we need to understand though the righteous path is not an easy one. Now it's not an easy one because the world, the world's going to invite you to come along with them and join in their sin. And, and, and when you refuse, the, the world's going to mock you. The world will mock you for that. Troubles will come. Hard times will inevitably occur. But when we continue our walk with the Lord, when we don't give up on that path that he's put us on, we're going to find that we're blessed. We're going to find that we're going to have joy in Christ despite our trials. We're going to find that we can be content in all our circumstances. We're going to find that we are blessed. 
That's the path of righteousness, and that's the path that all Christians have been called to walk on. But it's not the only path. Look at verse 4. The psalmist says, Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Uh, the second path in life, that's, that's the path of the wicked. And it isn't just dictators and murderers who walk on that path, although they surely do. No, it's the path, it's the path of all unbelievers. It's the path that we all began walking on in this life. Before we were in Christ, our hearts gravitated towards sin. The unsaved, they walk on this path of wickedness because it's in their very nature. And theirs, theirs is the broad road that leads to eternal destruction apart from God. The psalmist compares them to chaff. See, in those days when this was written, when the farmer would gather in his, his wheat, the next step was that they would thresh the wheat. So usually they would beat it or trample on it to separate the good grain from the husk and the other inedible parts. All that inedible stuff, that's the chaff. And then in the winnowing process, one of the ways they would do that is, is they would, in an open area, they would toss all that up into the air, and the wind would blow all that lightweight chaff away, and the heavier grain would fall to the ground. You see, chaff was worthless. It's not fit for keeping or for eating. It's only fit for being blown away by the wind or burned. Was the psalmist saying that the wicked are worthless in God's sight? No. No, that's, that's not what we're reading here. We need to remember that every person is of such value to God that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for their sins so that they might be reconciled to God through faith in Him. But what we are seeing here is that all the efforts of mankind, all their sin, all their wicked deeds, even their good deeds and their vain attempts to earn their way to God, all these things are worthless things. In fact, at the end of life, when they come before God in judgment, they're not going to have anything of worth to show. That, that's the path of the wicked. Vain, fruitless, destruction is what's in the end. And, and there, there are Christians today who want to live the same way as unbelievers. They're walking the same path as the wicked. This can be, in my opinion, seen most clearly today in the many professing Christians and the pastors and the whole church denominations who are walking in line with the sexual perversions and confusions of this world, dismantling the God-given definition of marriage and sexuality. And to appease the culture, many Christians, they've bought into the lie. And they're walking the same path. Believers, what... Why, why, why should we go along with the wickedness in the world when we know that the wicked path leads to destruction? Why, why, why would we do that? We know that wicked actions, that sin is worthless in God's sight, that it's of no eternal value, that sin is detestable to God, and the world asks us to join in with them in those things. Why would we do that? Why would we join in with them in their sin, in their immorality, in their mockery of God? and their abandonment of moral truth. Why would we do that? But there are Christians who are buying into that on a daily basis in our world. 
Christians, we need to understand that destruction is the result of that path. And understand that when I say that, when I say that, I'm not saying that a true follower of Jesus Christ will lose their salvation and end up in the same eternal destruction as the wicked. That's not what I'm saying. If you are saved, the Bible is very clear, you will never stop being saved. But many Christians have abandoned the path of righteousness. They've walked on that path of wickedness. They've indulged in sin. And what they found at the end is that evil does bring destruction. Destroys their lives. Destroys the lives of those around them. Destruction is always the result. Next week, we're going to look together. We're going to see what happens when the Christian sins. But for now, we need to understand that, you know what, the world, the world might stand very proud in its mockery of God. The world might stand proud in its love for sin, but they will not stand in the day of judgment. On that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christians, we weren't called to continue on the path of wickedness. Now, that was the path that we were on before we were in Christ. When sin was our master, when hell was our destiny, when we were in the family of the devil. But all that's behind us now. Those days are over. We've been called to be like trees firmly planted, not chaff that's easily blown away. I understand that the wicked seem prosperous now, but they're unstable in all their ways. I understand that the wicked seem abundant now, but so is the chaff before it's blown away. And I understand that the world stands proud in its sin today, but they will not stand proud in God's presence. Believer, the warning in this psalm for the righteous is this. Don't throw your lot in with the wicked. Don't do that. Because you see, sometimes, sometimes we do this thing as Christians where we think we can have it both ways. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we think, well, well I, I can walk with God and, and grow, and, and maybe I can walk a little bit with the world. And join in with some of the sin. Have the best of both worlds. You ever face that temptation? You ever thought that? There are two paths that we can walk on. Believer, we can walk on the path of righteousness or we can walk on the path of, of wickedness. Let's not play this game where we think we can, can do both. Casey told me a story that I, I wanted to share. Uh, some of you know that she rode crew in college. Uh, crew is a difficult sport picture of it on the screen there for you. This is, this is men rowing crew, so Casey is not in that picture. Uh, crew is a, a difficult sport where four or eight athletes are in a narrow boat or shell, and they row in unison together in a race against other teams. Well, Casey told me that sometimes in practice, they would have a, a balancing drill that they would do, where all eight members in that team, they're in their, their boat, and uh, one at a time, they would stand up in the boat. And the goal was to keep the whole boat balanced or else everybody would end up in the water. And she told me that a lot of times, they were pretty successful with this, but she said that sometimes two boats would come side by side and do this. And after everybody in both boats were standing up, the boats were balanced, someone would try and step from one to the other, which meant that at some point they were going to have a foot in both boats. She said that was never successful. Every time they tried that, both boats flipped over. Everybody was in the water. It was never successful when they tried that. And you know what? Neither are our attempts to keep one foot on the path of righteousness and one foot on the path of wickedness ever going to be successful. Trouble is always going to be the result in the end, believer. 
Don't, don't live an unstable and lukewarm life thinking you can keep one foot on both paths. Instead, church, let's commit ourselves to walking God's way. Let's commit ourselves to walking on the path of righteousness. But because I always want to be honest with you and not sugarcoat things, I will also admit, as I said earlier, that this path will not be easy. In fact, the truth is that it will be quite hard. I promise, I promise that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In John chapter 15, Jesus told his disciples that the world was going to hate them because they hated him. And not only that, but I promise that you will find the more you strive to live for Christ, not just the world that's going to attack you, try and tempt you to come along into sin, no, but it's also the devil. The devil delights in seeing God's people wallow away in sin and in doubt and in a lack of faith. Church, I promise you on the authority of God's Word that righteous living is hard. But I also promise you on the authority of God's Word that righteous living will be blessed. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. He, he knows what you are going through right now, believer. He sees your trial. He sees your hardship. And He will carry you through that as you lean on Him. He is still with you. He won't forsake you. He will bless you as you walk that path of righteousness. Now understand, I'm not saying He's going to bless you with a big house, a fast car, and a big bank account. This isn't the health and wealth gospel. You're not going to find that preached here, just like you're not going to find it in Scripture either. What I am saying is that if we are firmly rooted in Him, we will have a contentment that the world can't understand. We'll have a joy that our enemies can't rob. And we will have a relationship with the Lord that thrives, even in the dry seasons. So what path are you walking on, believer? Here's the truth this morning. The truth I want us to understand is that the path of wickedness is filled with false promises. But the path of righteousness is filled with the promises of God. Which one of those do you want to be on? The path of wickedness, there's all, sin is always going to promise us this satisfaction and this happiness and this, this quick joy. It's going to promise us all this stuff and there's always going to be empty promises. But the promises of God, believer, you can take those to the bank. So if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm encouraging you to evaluate, are you walking the way that the Lord wants you to be walking right now in your life? If you're not sure, then as you evaluate, here's a good indicator. Where's your joy found? What things are you delighting in? Are you delighting in the things of the Lord, like in His Word? Or are you finding yourself delighting in the pleasures of this world and in the sins of this life? Let's walk on the path of righteousness. And let's be sure that we are reading and meditating on God's Word every day. I would encourage you, church, let's commit ourselves to memorizing verses from the Bible as well. So that when we find ourselves in those dry seasons, or we find ourselves in moments of trouble or temptation or persecution... Well, God's Word is very easy to bring back to our mind when we've committed it to memory. Amen. And church, when the world 
tries to convince us to join them in sin, when the devil tries to tempt us and guide us into wrongdoing, let's instead listen to the counsel and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here's a verse for all of us to memorize. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. It says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. If Jesus is your Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Believer, He lives within you. Isn't that incredible? But He doesn't live within us for no purpose. No, the Holy Spirit is our our helper. And some of the things that He does is that He he guides and leads us in those paths of righteousness. He strengthens us in those moments when temptation comes. But it's us to us to look to Him and to follow His leading. And then when we sin, when we fail, because we will, when we find ourselves walking in wicked ways, believers, let's be quick to run back to the feet of God in repentance and return to righteous living. And maybe that's where you are right now in your life, Christian. Maybe you're at a place where you realize you've returned to those wicked ways you used to live in. Or, or maybe you realize that you, you have been joining in with others in their sin. Maybe you're evaluating it and you realize that you are on that path of wickedness. If you are, I want you to understand that no matter what amount of happiness you might think you're finding in that season of sin, you need to understand that that's not going to last. And we're going to look at the dangers of that next week, but before you experience the dangers of wickedness in your own life, I'm imploring you to run to God in repentance and to start walking on that path of righteousness again. What path are you walking on, believer? In just a moment, as we sing our final song, I'm going to encourage all of us to evaluate our hearts, to ask ourselves that question, which which path am I walking on? Some of us, we might need to find ourselves repenting before the Lord. We need to get right. Maybe we need to commit that we are going to read the Bible every day because we haven't been doing that. We've been reading the Bible, but we haven't been meditating on it. It's just been something we've been checking off the list. Maybe we need to commit before the Lord that we're going to memorize Scripture, put it to memory, so that we can't always have it with us. Believers, let's evaluate our hearts as we close together. And if you're here and Jesus Christ isn't your Savior, you've never given your life to Him, friend, you need to understand that all, all of us have done wicked things, have walked on that wicked path, broken God's commands. You need to understand that. You also need to understand that our sin deserves an eternal punishment, that destruction away from the Lord forever after this life in a place called hell. But praise be to God, in His love for us, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins and mine. Took the penalty for us. Then Jesus powerfully rose from the dead, and He is in heaven right now waiting to forgive you of all your sin, to save you from the penalty of hell, and to give you a new and eternal life in Him. Friend, if Jesus is not your Savior, do not walk out of here on the path that you walked in on. I'm encouraging you to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you have questions about that, you can come down during this final song. We can talk together here at the front. We can go to the back. We can talk together, answer your questions. Maybe you want to give your life to the Lord. We can pray together. But as we prepare to evaluate our hearts, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who's never given their life to Jesus, and they know, they know that, that they haven't been forgiven. 
them receive that salvation that you're offering. I pray that if there's anybody here in that place, that they would be willing to come and talk with me during this final song. They talk with someone before they leave. But Father, maybe they're ready right now in their heart to change all that, to give everything over to you. And if they are, I pray that they would go to you right now in a heart of faith and repentance and admit to you that they know that they're sinners. That they believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and that they would give their life over to him. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision, Father, please, please be with us because there are so many, so many times we're going to face that temptation in our lives to return to our old way of living or to join in with others in their sin. We're going to hear the world mock us. Father, help us not to give up that path of righteousness. Help us not to stop walking the way that you have called us. Help us, help us not to ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Help us to be a church that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. To be a group of believers that delights in your word. And help us to be a church family that knows what it is to lovingly look after one another. That we would encourage one another. Because we're not going to find encouragement in the world. So help us to encourage our family in Christ. To walk the right way. Help us to look out for one another. To lift up the believer who is stumbling into sin. And lovingly restore them to you. Father, help us to be a family in Christ that cares that much for one another. And help each of us as we evaluate our hearts this morning to respond to whatever conviction or leading that your Holy Spirit is doing within us. Father, we love you. But we know that you love us more. We can never thank you enough for that. But we're going to thank you every single day until we see you. In Jesus' name, amen.